I'm Linda Laurel, creator and host of Our Voices Matter. Why this podcast and why now? Because it's time for us all to take a deep breath and listen. I am a journalist, business owner, keynote speaker, founder of an education nonprofit, wife, mother, daughter, sister, dancer, and lover of life, and my country. And like so many of you, I am deeply distressed at the deteriorating level of discourse in our democracy. This podcast is my humble attempt to do something about it, one story at a time. It is my hope that as you listen to and watch the stories of someone you might consider to be the other, that you will somehow see a glimpse of yourself and be reminded of our common humanity. So what do you say? Let's take this journey together. Welcome to Our Voices Matter, a podcast dedicated to empowering us all to better understand each other. Our goal, to replace fear with knowledge, disdain with respect, and hate with love, one story at a time. So let's get to it. I can't believe we're finally here and doing this. So I love it. This is awesome. Um, Sarah Spears Selber, we've known each other for at least 20 years, if not more. I think going back to AIDS Foundation Houston, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So tell me what you're up to these days. Um, I think I'm up to what everybody's up to, actually. I think um, the only thing different is I, I believe that I'm back to the basics of um, human relationships and um, rejecting sort of technology, moving back more old school and all of the practices that um, my team will build and things yes. that we do, the You're, project management. The project management team. Yes, so tell, tell our, our, our listeners and viewers a little bit about what the PM team does. Yeah, we build socially responsible businesses and or community initiatives. And so it's really not so much about the company. It's, you know, I, I think it's much more today not about our businesses. I think it's much more about, as humans, the businesses we are in in any given moment. In any given moment. In any given moment, you bet. So, um, you know, an AIDS foundation certainly taught me that um, in any given moment I would lose a staff person. Mm-hmm. That in any given moment um, when I was at Dynagy, things could change because 9-11 and Dynagy and Cantor Fitzgerald were together as one. And changed that day and things like that and so here we are and Saturday I'm hanging out at home and everything changed because of Pittsburgh and on Sunday two people went to a grocery store in Kentucky that were black and they were killed so while business is interesting and I have to eat you have to eat I feel far more compelled at the age of 61 to utilize what I'm learning to create uh, the antidote to where we've been led, which is this theory around unconscious bias, which if you're unconscious, how do you know what your bias is? And using this word diversity. 
There's which was problem. brilliant yeah. as a way to divide us. So, so you're saying that the word diversity contributes to the division. Of course it does. Explain, please. So um, diversity is basically people are fighting over the same things, social and economic equity. So let's just take Harvey and let's go back to conscious inclusion. Okay? Okay. During Harvey, during any catastrophe, catastrophe, earthquake in Mexico, Harvey, Memorial Day floods, people immediately do what? Something. Whatever. Whatever it takes. Everybody does something right. so that no one person is responsible to do everything. Right. And that might have meant somebody got a float and went next door to a neighbor they had never met. And in that moment, they had to figure out how to consciously include that person in solving the problem of getting that human out of that environment. That human might have been a quadriplegic. That person might have been a Republican. That person might have been all of those labels, a Democrat, a gay, a lesbian, a black, a purple, an orange, a this or that. It didn't matter. Did it. No. In that moment, everyone was doing something. In that moment. That moment lasts for about three or four days. Everyone's doing something until we start talking about where will the resources be allocated. Mm-hmm. And we lose what was happening in those moments. Who was being rescued? Was the human connection? Is that what was Of course, of course, of course. So the people that I've met <clears throat> during Harvey, that has become a new system that is all on the same page around conscious inclusion. And let's reject this far right and far left political conversation. And let's create a movement that really mirrors Harvey, which is the GSD movement. Hashtag GSD. Get stuff done. That doesn't always take money. The whole the whole reason is you know that um, I decided to do this this podcast is to is to have conversations like this that remind us of what our common humanity is because I, I believe that you know with all the, the stuff that's going on in Washington, um, you know, at a political level, that it's gonna take people like you and me just connecting with each other and with others in order to change the, the, the dialogue and actually bring us bring us closer together. So to that end, one of the things that I'm asking um, all of our guests is to share um, a personal or professional story situation where you felt like you were made to feel like the other. You were shunned. You were an outcast. You felt that you didn't belong. Um, and I, I know you probably have a, a list. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it it began for me at a pretty young age, sort of again by design. I grew up in the Jewish community. And so I literally, I can honestly say on my street, I, I had never met a Gentile. Like I didn't even know they even existed in the world. There was one on the street, but I think they had kind of assimilated and become Jewish. They loved our food so much and our holidays. And, and, and I went to Johnston, and I did become very close friends with the young. Johnston Middle School. Johnston Middle School. Here, here in Houston. In Houston, I don't know what it's called now, but became very friendly with Lorna Griggs, whose mother was a teacher. She was black, and 
we loved each other because we were the two skinniest girls in the school. And so we became fast, fast friends. And I remember the reaction when she came home with me after school to work on a project. It, it just, it, it, it stuck. Having grown up in a household with... Describe that reaction. Um, my parents' reaction of, oh, you know, what will people think? Um, I wasn't aware of what Lorna would think because we were buds. And so it just never crossed my mind. What would she, it just uh -huh. was so natural uh -huh. until that moment when everyone else made it feel so uncomfortable. And we certainly had Lulu who helped raise us and became, you know, that sort of second mother. My mother couldn't give full attention to me. Um, and Lulu was, uh, was Lulu black? Lulu was black. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, although I had an older brother, have an older brother who, um, there was a lot of chaos in my house because of his mental, um, the way he was mentally kind of formed and there were no diagnostics back then. After that situation, I, I had to go away to boarding school because of my brother. And so I was the diversity player. I was Jewish. And were you the only Jewish student at the boarding school? Pretty much. And I was a boarding student in a global economy. Mm -hmm. I was at that time living with girls whose parents were diplomats. And I know I got to go there because I was a jock. I was in the box of being the jock. And I know what it took to make that happen now. Mm -hmm. And my best friend was the spick. And, and, and it didn't dawn on me until years later when we had that conversation, when the coach was up on the balcony screaming, little spick, move your feet, little Jew. It didn't dawn on me that there was anything about that until now I flash forward to today. And I find myself thinking, what were they thinking? What was my great grandparents? What were they all thinking when the signs were there? Why didn't they leave? What, what? And I find myself today because I'm white. I have this privilege because I'm white and yet people are running for office with a me, a face of a Jewish candidate that looks exactly like World War II and what Hitler would have done. But if I don't say I'm Jewish, no one knows. So the label they put on me is I'm white and I'm privileged. My cousin was white, he was privileged. He was a quadriplegic in a skiing accident. He felt no privilege in this world. He couldn't go anywhere. His side, he couldn't get out of his house up the sidewalk because no one cared. There was no privilege in that. And yet he figured out how to get his master's and work with profoundly mentally ill adolescents because his ideology was, well, if they see me in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic in Harris County, no one cares. Maybe they'll see optimism. So when you think about what's going on today, I'm, I'm thinking, I have this image in my mind 
of you and your Hispanic friends on a was it basketball court? She was volleyball. It was basketball. Okay. <laughs> she taught me volleyball, which ended up helping me get a scholarship to Tulane for sports because I didn't know volleyball, and she taught me. Amazing. So when you think back to that, and as you as you mentioned, you know, we're just a few days out from the horrific mass shooting um, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. How did you get here? Yeah, I, I think it gets back to, you know, this is, uh, I think technology has a big part of it, a really big part of it. Um, we all have voices now in ways that we didn't have 25 years ago. So 25 years ago when we met, you know, I was the other. I stepped into, even before Houston, um, a gay white male world that I had zero understanding of. Faith Foundation was... No, even before, before that, I was in Oklahoma City. Okay. And so, you know, the virus was gay white men. And my cousin got the virus and went home to Shreveport. And I saw it. I saw it that weekend. But I'm still the other. I'm not a gay white guy. I don't have a virus. So when I get to AIDS Foundation, I see it play out community to community to community as the virus spreads. And I'm still the other because I don't have the virus. So what did you learn from that experience? We're all the same. What I learned was when someone gets sick, it takes a village to take care of them. And there's not enough money on the planet to do that. What I learned was if you ask, people will help. I went to you. I said, Linda, help me. No one will talk about this. Somehow, someway, can you go to your TV channel and help me? I'm sure I cried. <laughs> that doesn't hurt, but I couldn't help I don't it. I remember you crying. I, I, okay. I couldn't help it. And yeah. what I did was I put people in my car and I showed them and they met people. It wasn't just a tweet I need. There were no assumptions. We had to get to know each other. And that's the that's the that's the crux of, of all of this yeah. is that we don't know each other. You know, when we otherize or demonize someone, it's usually based on a preconceived notion that has no basis or grounding in fact. Because there's no real knowledge. It's like you said, you didn't know any Gentiles for the longest time just because yeah. And we still have a, have, a, have a society that is siloed in that way, where there are many people that, that do not have daily contact with someone that they consider the other, who is someone other than whatever they're... Yes. And I think that when you begin to create these solutions, so um, because of you know work and the things I do, somebody sent me a link to, oh, I bet you're going to love this, and it was called the Sisterhood of Solomon Shalom, Muslim and Jewish women forming circles to form relationships to do social action together. I love that. So I reached out to a Muslim friend who we had met, random work, and she went, I'm in. I'm in. That's threatening. To those that want to keep us divided. Right. So Harvey 
what's happening? My friend Gurung from Amana Refugee Services is sending me people from the Muslim community who have 18 wheelers full of product and they have no idea where to distribute it. And my friends from the Jewish Federation are sending me 18 wheelers full of product from the Jewish community because they have no idea where to send it outside of the Jewish community. And so that product between the Muslim and the Jews, none of us are, have ever really met, started in the Golden Triangle through an old relationship at AIDS Foundation and went all the way through East Harris County. Through a guy who was 28, who were just texting and phone calling and what do you need? This is coming this day. This guy was proficient at GSD. Getting stuff done. He got stuff done with strangers and neighbors and he was one of the first ones in a boat. He wasn't waiting. So I love this, you know, this this idea of the, the Muslim community and the Jewish community coming together to fulfill yes. a need. Um, back to Pittsburgh just for a moment. Um, I loved hearing the story about the, the Muslim community donating money to help. Yes. Just like the Jewish community is doing with the mosques. But that's the norm. Right. You see? That's the norm. That's, that's the norm. But that's not what we But see that's not what basis. people want you to right. see. Right. So I think and to celebrate. That's correct. Yeah. So we do quite a bit of training. We, we work with you know folks on how do you begin to build teams based on conscious inclusion? How do we build common ground in the first 10 minutes of this room? Right? So right now, I bet I can do it as if we have never met by just asking you three simple questions. Linda, do you have a disability? No, okay. I do not. Do you care for someone with a disability? Yes, I do. Boom. There we are. Do you know someone with a disability? I certainly do. Okay. Tell me, tell me what those disabilities are in your mind. In my mind, yeah. What are disabilities? Name some disabilities. Well, I mean, they could be anything from not being able to walk, not being able to see, not being able to hear, not being able to uh, think rationally um, because of a, of a, a, a disorder. Mm -hmm. Any any yeah. number of things. Right. So let's talk about what the legislation says. The legislation says it's anything that impairs you intellectually, physically, or mentally. Now, do you know anyone who's ever had cancer treatment? Oh, yes. Chemo brain, mm. a disability. Do you know anyone with asthma? Yep. A disability. Do you know anyone with diabetes? Yep. A disability. Do you know anyone with ADHD? Do you know anyone with neurodiversity? I mean, so everyone, like, do I have a disability? Well, you're looking at me. Do I have any disabilities? I, I don't know. Right. But, but I have two. I have pretty serious rheumatoid arthritis, which impairs my physicality. Mm -hmm. And I have certain forms of dyslexia. So now when I go to a workshop of a mindfulness instructor, and the first thing they say is, okay, everybody stand up. That's not an easy thing for you to do. That's not so mindful. Yeah. And then they say, okay, now I'm gonna turn on some music. What if there's someone who can't hear? Okay, now follow my movements. Mm -hmm. What if I've just even had a surgery 
or the other night I go and, okay, we're going to start this session off with mindfulness. Everybody put both feet on the ground. That's an assumption. Okay, so... I, Everyone I get, breathe deeply. I, I get I get where you're where you're going. I'm I, the white I, light. I understand. I understand what you're saying. So from the perspective of the person who was say leading that, yes. um, the, the, the person who was leading the, the group that you were in, what are you saying that that person should have said or done to be uh, more consciously correct. inclusive of Everyone in the room not knowing what somebody's ability or disability might be. So let's just say you're playing a conference. I, I mean, I think the first thing we want to know is how do you best receive information? Do, do you visually, do you need some kinds of visual support? Um, auditorily, do you need some kind, do you need extra space? Um, so those are questions that should be asked in advance of be very helpful. It'd be very and helpful. And then when the person who is presenting is aware of all now that, it's then you know presenting, you don't assume everyone can just stand up and dance. Right. And right. yeehaw. And you that these are assumptions. And you don't assume I mean I'm very much at the point now where I can tell when someone is in a space that really has some anxiety of being too close to someone. Too physically close. Physical. And because we're neurodiverse brains. All of our brains operate differently. You and I, if we decided to work on a project together, you would approach it one way and I would approach it another way. You can either see what I'm doing as a total mess, which many have, or you can see oh, wow, we just need to yeah. fix this in a way that can be more translatable. Right. It, I will forever be grateful growing up in my space for all of the people around me. You, Debbie Fiorito, who could see the things in me that were so powerful and so inspiring and so wonderful that, A, I couldn't see in myself. And I certainly had no clue how to make it an implementable anything. And so they taught me, you need someone on your team that can do this. You need some. Mm -hmm. Your whole job is just going to be connecting the right people and then getting out of the way. And you're brilliant at that. And that's all I do. So what does my company do? We correct the the dots. Correct. We connect the dots in order to make sure that more than the top 10% can thrive. And if today we were serious about education, we would stop fighting over public, charter, and private. We would start fighting for how do people learn and what do they want to learn, and we would get real serious about STEAM, science, technology, empathy, arts, and math. Empathy. Science, technology, empathy, arts, and math. That is such such an important word because we are lacking it severely. Um, it, it's <laughs> it kind of goes without saying at this point. Technology. Um, yeah. When a friend of mine calls me and says, "Can you come see what's on my thirteen-year-old daughter's Instagram?" and I have to play like I am the FBI to scare the heck out of the child. That has created an Instagram account. Blank needs to kill herself. 
at no. the age of 13. When my friend, who has a child in a well-known religious school with the meme of Jesus, with all kinds of horrible words to this child that goes into an airdrop to 50 students. Something's wrong. And these kids are learning it where? At home. These kids are learning it from our leaders who are name-calling in public. We didn't grow up with leaders name-calling. We didn't. There was, we might have been politically different, but we didn't have name like that. And, you know, part of the, the issue that we're facing is that, um, you know, and again, this, this is not intended to be a, a show about politics, but obviously nothing happens in a vacuum. And we are having this conversation in the context of what is happening in our, in our country. And um, I agree with you about the fact that words matter and that when our leaders are, are calling each other names, then our young people and, and, and everyone else believes that that's okay. There are those who would disagree with us and, um, and say we should not blame the leaders for what they're saying and doing, but that it's everybody's individual responsibility you know, the leaders are not responsible for contributing to a heinous act. They don't see a connection of the dots. So, so how do you get how do you get back to building? That? We just have to go back to With grace and pace. Grace and pace and, and connection. Yes. And, and definitely connection. And I think that's where the technology piece um, you know, as wonderful as it is, the technology that allows us to do what we're doing here today is fantastic. And the, and the technology that allows us to communicate instantly in real time is fantastic. But there's a there's a negative side to it as well. And, and, the, and the big negative for me is just the fact that people don't talk anymore to each other face to face and yes. look at someone's expression and how their words are having an impact. Because it's so easy to tweet or text and not see the reaction on the other end of that, which is what you were talking yeah. about before. How, how is it okay how for kids it? to text their parents? Well, I, well, how, how is it how is it okay? Yeah, really. I'm and sorry, how, but I'm 17 years old and I'm texting you. I'm great, mom. Really? Yeah. That could be your friend with your phone. I want to hear your voice. Right. 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 And and, <laughs> and how can how can you? Um, send a message to a young person at the end of a tweet or a text and say, you know, you should really just kill yourself. I mean, that's yeah. that's insane. Yeah. That's insane. So clearly something is broken here. And, and Humans are broken. Humans are broken, and we need to find a way to get back to the humanity. And and I think if we can just understand that as humans we're broken, right. that is the common you're saying, ground. The common ground is the that we, ground all have, is... we all have pain, and we have to acknowledge each other's pain. My first meeting this yeah. morning, I looked straight at that person and went, oh, <laughs> gave them a big hug. I said, do we really need to meet? <laughs> person just needed a hug. Just needed a hug. Just needed a hug. You can't tell if somebody needs a hug over, no. over a phone. No. Or a text or, yeah. No, my kids do no. not need me to give them any advice. So... <laughs> 
to wrap up our conversation, if there were one thing that you could leave with people today um, to give them hope about where we can be, what would that be? Um, I, I would I would ask people to stop tolerating one another. I would ask people to respect the fact that every human they come in contact with, every human is in pain or has pain. And as such, look for the common people. Fred Rogers' mother says it best, Nancy Rogers' mother. In a catastrophe, look for the helpers. In life, look for the helpers. They're everywhere. They're everywhere in any given moment. They are everywhere. That was Harvey. In a catastrophe, look for the helpers. And there are more helpers than there are not. It's the majority. It's the majority. It's the silent majority. It is the silent majority. And the vocal minority is getting into our heads. Get them out. Push it out. Look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. I love that. Look for the helpers. Perfect way to end today. I love you, my friend. I love you, my friend. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yep, Thank you bet. It's always fun to come chat. Great. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share. And then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.